You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, and welcome to The Compass, the podcast documenting the struggles of life as an artist. I'm Leah Walsh. My guest today is Samora Pinderhues. Samora is a beautiful pianist, composer, and an activist. He went to Juilliard in the jazz department right after I graduated, uh, and he did some outreach work there with my husband. But we've recently reconnected, and I'm so glad that we did. His energy is delightful to be in a room with, and his hard work and activism is very inspiring to me. We cover a lot of ground in this conversation, but specifically, I wanted to shout out that Samora's long-term project, The Transformations Suite, was just released this week on October 12th, 2016. It's an incredible album that reflects uh, the current state of social inequality and injustice in the United States and beyond. So stick around at the end of the episode to hear a track off the album. I hope you enjoy the 49th episode of The Compass. How do you keep from going to the dark side as an artist? And what is the dark side for you? Like, if you're feeling really down, what is it that's taking you there? Um, I have definitely had a lot of experiences with that. I mean, I definitely have had my own kind of battles with whatever one would call, you know, depression or things like that. Um, and the music has definitely been helpful for me to actually just talk about that stuff. Because one of the, I guess, at least the characteristics of it for me is that my own kind of mind is telling me not to tell other people about it. Yeah. Um, and so the weird kind of paradox of it is I somehow feel more comfortable doing it in front of like 200 people as a song than I feel talking about it with one person even if I really know them really well. Yeah. Um, so it's been nice to have those kind of points of relief. Also I think in the music sometimes I can do and be certain things that I think at least feel very dangerous for me to be as a person, like being very aggressive. <laughs> you know, I don't want to be aggressive towards another person. But right. I can do that in the music if I need to, you know. Yeah. And sometimes you do need to do those things as a person to get certain feelings out, you know, to yell or whatever. So if I need to do that in the music, that's a safe outlet for me to do that while I'm not hurting other people. Um, so I think that's been another Yeah. So that I think that has been helpful. Um, and just, you know, being able to have a forum where I can talk about very difficult things but still try to make it beautiful. Because, you know, that's why I, I do music is because I love beauty. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a very interesting paradox to try to take those kind of things that I think are very ugly about myself and try to make them beautiful to yeah. other people. Yeah, totally. Um, while still trying to re- retain the honesty of what they are. So, I mean, I like that, but I also do think that it can also be not the right lifestyle for somebody that has those tendencies at the same time, you know, so it's like... The artist's life. Yeah, just, you know, it being very uncertain and um, not consistent in any way. Yeah, and vulnerable, too, because it's like you're part of the thing that you're trying to get people behind. Yes. It's not like, oh, I made this chair. (laughs) Take the chair. It's like, it's very... part of you yeah exactly that's true um and uh the fact that your whole kind of livelihood is based on the idea that you're giving of yourself is a little strange sometimes 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, are you someone who likes structure and kind of yearns for that kind of control? I, as a jazz musician, I would think that you were the opposite, but... I think I'm naturally the opposite. I think I always tell myself I need more structure, but I don't actually do that. <laughs> um, it, yeah, it's, it's tough with, like, tone and just the type of way I like to write. I like to write in the nighttime, and like, but I like to practice in the morning, so I choose... <laughs> Yeah. What what kind of stuff? Like a diet. Mm-hmm. Haven't succeeded with that one yet. <laughs> Self care. Uh, just like the first things you do when you get up in the morning. Like I think like going and do like responding to things in the morning mm-hmm. is not good. But this is really what I do, you know, responding to email, responding to what you had to do the night. Like you should do something active first, I think. Right. Right, right. Well, and also to like see your, give yourself space to be a human being first. Thank you, loud trucks. Um, before like turning into a business machine. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that uncertainty, it's a beast. Yeah. I guess you have to find a way to try to turn it into a positive thing, but I know that's hard for me. self-motivated the flip side is that it doesn't really you learn that it doesn't really matter like what successes you have or those kind of things like benchmarks that you think will make you feel one way it doesn't really change it's more about what you you realize it's more internal how you have to kind of train yourself to feel about the process and other things like that because it doesn't it doesn't actually like you think you know oh if i like hit this thing or whatever i'm gonna feel like a success but mm-hmm. that's really not what happens you still feel like oh that wasn't Right. So you have to learn to hopefully like enjoy more of the process and try to, you know, be easy on yourself when you get more into that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know, and I think sometimes you think that, oh, well, if I get this one success, then every, everything after it is going to line up right. and lead to the next and the next and the next, and that's not always the case. You might have a huge success and then a quiet few years, you know? Yeah. And yeah, I think it's all about defining for yourself as an artist what what is making you happy? Definitely. Where did you grow up? Um, I was born in New York, but I moved to the Bay Area when I was like less than a year old. So I grew up in Berkeley, California, and I lived there till I moved to New York for Juilliard. Um, so my whole, you know, growing up life was out there. I love the Bay. It's, like it's beautiful. Place. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love New York too, but and they're actually similar in certain ways, but the Bay is definitely. I'm glad I like grew up there. That's like my personality, you know. And I feel like you can always, with people who really grew up there, like you can tell, you can tell each other, like, oh, you were. It was a kinship. Yeah. Um, and when did you start playing music? I started when I was two. I was really early. Wow. Okay. So, and then from there, I kind of left the drums behind. How does your family feel about you being a musician? They're very supportive. I'm very lucky about that. My sister is also uh, a musician. Oh, really? Yes, she's a uh, little. This is older or younger? She's a young, she's 21. She, we live together, actually. In oh, my Florida, gosh. And she goes to Manhattan School of Music and uh, plays there. She's amazing, also, incredible musician, uh, flute player, and singer. So, you know, we kind of grew up together, and I think that was one of the reasons that my parents were very supportive, was that they could see that it made us close, and that was the most important thing to them, was that, you know, 
siblings. So because that was like what we would mostly do was like play together and stuff when we were growing up. Um, and I would you know, teach her when she was first starting. They were very, they liked that a lot. Yeah, I'm sure. Um, but even when it came to, you know, us wanting to do it professionally, they were always very supportive, which I know is not, you know, not always the case. So we're very lucky. Are either of your parents, do they have like creative outlets in their life? Oh, cool. All that kind of stuff. Her mom, my grandma, was also really brilliant at that. Um, and my dad, my dad has things that he hasn't explored as well, um, for sure. You know, but but they're mostly academics and community organizers and that kind of stuff. They, okay. They teach, and they have they each have kind of also like important program programs that they do. Okay, so this ties into a question I was going to ask because I know you're really involved in activism and I know that like you and Frankie did some outreach work together at school but um, I mean you're quite a bit younger than I am and I feel like you've been involved in so much and I was wondering where that activism started. Yeah, um, my, definitely yeah. my parents and just my family. Um, my dad is African American, mm-hmm. my mom um, is, has a very like complicated background but she grew up in all Puerto Rican community in New York City. Um, That's amazing, though. Yeah, amazing. Um, and uh, so, yeah, my, my mom is a, uh, the founder of a curriculum called Roots of Success, which is the first environmental literacy curriculum, which gives uh, people with, you know, low access to good education, low levels of the traditional skills um, to basically learn about environmental literacy and be, be able to get the skills to enter the green economy. And it's mostly in high schools and as well as prisons, which is, you know, very important for people getting out who don't have access to much employment. Um, and my dad is uh, works in the Bay on youth violence prevention and focuses on trauma as an issue that's kind of unexplored and how it, how the vital role that it plays in the levels of violence in low-income communities. Yeah. So they were always, yeah, that way very, you know, uh, radical. And uh, even my name, Samora, I was named after Samora Michelle, who was the liberator of Mozambique, the head of the Liberation Army, and the Portuguese anti-colonialist Pan-African okay. leader, who was assassinated by the United States. So that probably tells you all. So you, you got know some history. Um, and their views towards yeah. U.S. policy. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I mean, I was just lucky that, you know, to be able to grow up in that environment where they really stressed that it's important to be active in your community and to make the world, you know, better, no matter what you do. So, you know, obviously my outlet is the arts, but I also always try to be engaged in more on the ground ways as well, because I think for artists that's so important, like as an as great as as great a role as we have to play as artists making art about those issues and as much as that brings I still think it's important to be involved in more concrete ways. Uh, because yeah. yeah. So you've been out of school for four years? Five years? Oh, I'm lying. Twenty thirteen. Okay. Um but I wanna talk about your current project, which I guess I was thinking that because you said you've been working on it for yeah, five years. Yeah. So you started it while you at were still at yeah. at Juilliard. <laughs> but it was like 25, 30 people on stage. Oh my gosh. I remember Corey Hawkins was in it. Uh-huh. Uh, Danielle mm-hmm. was in it. Um, Seiko was in it. Like, like yeah, crazy. It was amazing. The cast. <laughs> but, um, um, so, you know, the yeah, the first version um, was at Juilliard. And then uh, was at first a collaboration between myself and and then uh, we kind of, that kind of got messed up. So then I restarted with the project, and um, it became a collaboration. 
perfect to me between myself and Jeremy Harris. Another yeah. Director Love Jeremy. Um, Wait, and this this started before the MLK or after the MLK after, performance? Yeah, the okay. performance was with me and Kristoff, and mm-hmm. then um, then like a year later, like kind of inspired by what that was. It was a very different thing, but right. there, was some, there was some good things in it. So I took those, kind of, you know, reformed the piece, and then brought, you know, Jeremy on, because I love his poetry, which no one knows about, because he's this dope actor. But he never Yeah, really he's a beautiful, beautiful poet. Writing. Um, so we collaborated, you know, on this new thing I kind of took from his writings, asked him to write a couple other things, and then, you know, formed this new project called the Transformation Suite. Um, and we did the second performance at, well, we actually, we did the first performances of the, that, that iteration of it, um, in Brazil, but that was through Ju- Juilliard actually, because oh, okay. they sent us there as one of their, like, outreach programs. Like through the jazz department? Through the jazz department. So that was why the original band, like, in, which is the same as the band for the album, is all Juilliard people except my sister. Oh, amazing. <laughs> snuck her in there. You've all but, stuck you know, together. They, since it's a Juilliard project, obviously you have to bring all Juilliard musicians. So I just picked who I thought were the best people that were there at the time. And they sent us down there for two weeks um, to just do the project in Brazil, which is a very interesting way to first do it, like, before ever performing right. because they don't speak English. Well, and it's also very much about American very issues, you know. What was interesting is the place that they sent us, um, which I was a part of making sure that they sent us there because I knew better people that I played, was Salvador in Bahia, which mm-hmm. is the most African indigenous part of Brazil. You know, other places like Sao Paulo, Rio, they have definitely black people, but they're uh, much less close to that cultural like underpinning and that history of the diaspora history, yeah. the slave trade, all that stuff. So for reasons I couldn't super explain to you now because I don't know the history that well. Uh-huh. But Salvador is definitely the like the heart of the African indigenous kind of uh, continuum cultural influence in Brazilian music, Brazilian dance, culture, and definitely the heritage. So because we did it there, even though, like you said, like it was written definitely from the, the African-American perspective, mostly, but definitely the overall American perspective as well. Um, there was definitely very much diasporic elements in it because we were talking about the slave trade, we were talking about how the legacy of colonialism, legacy of slavery, uh, you know, has persisted and transformed in different ways to, you know, lead us to where we are now as a country. So those things turned out like were very, you know, on the minds of the people there. So yeah. they were like loving it. And we had a really interesting conversations about the differences and the similarities of how the legacy of colonialism, African slavery, you know, enslaved peoples has uh, led that country to where it is versus, you know, our country and how African people are treated, you know, African descendant people are treated there as, as opposed to here, you know. Mm-hmm. Very different in certain ways, but also, you know, in certain ways very similar. And fortunately very similar and still basically the way that they're disenfranchised and like as we like to see them. Mm-hmm. So they, they definitely it resonated a lot with them and it was cool for that to be the first version because um, we, we we saw very quickly that it was world worldwide, you know, that it had that potential to speak to different people everywhere. Um, and then to bring it back, it was it was a cool cool way to do that, yeah. So how long did it take you to do the um, like the meat of the composing? Or was it all kind of like everything had to happen at once, the poetry and the music? And yeah, it was like a weird... Did you know how big it would be like when you started? It was to, I guess, I think usual, which is that because I knew I wanted it to be a suite, that's why I call it Transformation Suite, I really wanted it to be like kind of this very cohesive thing, like a concept record, basically. Or a piece, I don't know, at that time I didn't even know I wanted it to be a record. Um, I wrote program notes before I wrote any music. So I basically wrote like, these are the sections... And this is what each section is about. And those sections are still that thing, you know. Um, and it was almost like I was writing, like, an essay. That's because obviously I come from an academic parent. So it was almost yeah. like the first section is the thesis statement. And then these are, like, the, the paragraphs that are, like, about eight different things, analyzing. And then the end is, like, the kind of conclusion, you know. And we mm-hmm. even bring back this, we even bring it back at the end. Because you do that in, you know, symphonies and great pieces of music, too. Like, even Kendrick. Kendrick's record where he like takes the pieces of poetry and then he says the poem at the end like yeah it's just a great musical device
writing. So I was like, oh, that makes a lot of sense and kind of did it like that. Um, and then I wrote the music after. And I had one poem that I had heard Jeremy do, which was the reason that I wanted him. I actually hadn't even talked to him about writing more. I don't really know why I like knew him for some reason. He would be able to write more dope stuff. <laughs> but I had only heard this one piece that he did and I, I knew exactly where it was going to go in this thing I was writing before I wrote the music. So I placed that uh-huh. when I was writing music. Then I sent him that and I was like, this like, is where that's going. Is it okay if I use that? <laughs> no, straight up. I was like, listen, I need you, first of all, to be using this. Second of all, I need you to write three more pieces for these other sections. Like, this is what they're about. So it was actually probably very constricting for him because it wasn't like he could just free write. I was like, this is what this thing is about. You have to write right. like a dope poem based on <laughs> But he came back, like, literally. And, and the other thing was we had the, we had the tour, like, this was when the, it was already scheduled. Like, I had certain things, and I had been writing for a long time, probably, like, almost a year. I had been writing different pieces and things. But the meat of the music I pulled together in about a month. And then I asked him to write stuff in, like, two and a half weeks. <laughs> and so he came back That's with fair. really great stuff. And then I just edited a bit to work, and he, he was cool with my edits, and then we just did it. Like, it was very, um, it was definitely, like, a hurry-up-and-wait kind of thing. Yeah. It was, like, a long process at the beginning to understand what it was about and then once that happened like it was off and running and uh so then yeah that was kind of but to have that relationship where you guys were so like on the same page that you can collaborate even if it is last minute or yeah yeah to know that the other one will be up for it and like yeah and then the other kind of backwards part about the process which has also been very interesting is that we did that in 2011 so we 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 toured the first in brazil in like july or and then we were like, oh, this is great. People are responding to it. We want to make a record. So I did a Kickstarter in 2011 mm-hmm. to get the money to record it. Recorded December of 2011. Like almost all the music, I'd say 75% of the music was recorded in 2011. And then for like various other reasons, which, you know, I probably, you know, some of which I can speak about and other of which I cannot. Okay. But nothing involving bad people or anything. <laughs> Right, right. The details. It took us five years to get to the point where we can actually release the music. And we did have to record more stuff, re-record some things. And yeah, I was going to say, so is some of what's on the record going to be from that initial session? Yeah, I would session? say about 70% of what's on the record oh, wow. from 2011. <laughs> wow. Well, and so, so what has the last couple of years been like for you if you felt like so much of the creative part of it was already done that you're just in yeah. the in the weeds with the producing part of it or has it still well, been growing like your idea of what it is or how you want to use it been growing yeah I mean that's part of what's been so interesting about it is when we wrote it in 2011 I mean yeah, people will hear this when you know when and if they check out the music like it's the project is definitely about the American experience overall but it's definitely centered in the black American experience um, mm-hmm and when we wrote it in 2011, part of when I wrote, you know, especially the, the, the meat of the project, um, what I was trying to look at basically was what is ha- what ended up happening now. I mean, because at the time, it's, there were definitely people doing work, at, you know, all over. There's always people doing great work. But it was before all of this stuff really popped off, you know what I mean? So it was like, I was looking around at my generation being like, what is our, what are we going to do? Like, I don't see the impetus for like our new civil rights movement or whatever, black power, like those movements that other generations had built. Like, I don't see us doing that. How do we build it? So this was kind of my attempt at kind of getting a musical, like emotional response to people to say, we need to build this. And then obviously what's funny is like, (laughs) now it's already, it's been built. So like the the, the 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 I guess the point of the album has like and the music has changed a lot to just more be like reflecting or trying to be a part of and build forwards within this movement rather than to envision the movement because the movement ha- has already happened you know what I mean um, so that was has been very interesting and through the five years like that we've been working on the project we have still been performing it live like in lots 
to different places. We went to Costa Rica and performed it. Um, we went to the West Coast, did it different, you know, in the Bay, we did it in LA, different schools like across, you know, we did it at Columbia, NYU, UC Irvine. Um, I mean, basically the only place we haven't gone in the, in the United States has been the South, actually. We have not gone mm. to the South yet with the project. Um, but, um, yeah, so the piece has changed a lot, you know, just in how we perform it and how we represent it. And one of the things that we, that I try to do with it when I do it live is to make it very malleable. So wherever we go with it, I always do reconnaissance beforehand and be like, what are the people in this space like fighting for that they're not getting? And then I'll incorporate it into the piece, you know, and talk to them about how they want to use that stage. Because for me, the piece is like, it's to be used. It's not, I mean, hopefully artistically by itself, it also has merit. But for me, it was always a, a, a piece of work to be used that people can use for something and that was the only also honestly the only reason it's coming out because it wasn't the last five years of me continuously doing work it was basically like we did a lot of work in 2011 some things happened in the beginning of 2012 that kind of made it seem like it was impossible to do and then I just was like this is not I'm done like this is not coming out like for like a good two years almost mm-hmm. but I had given it to some people like friends and different people that I trusted and wanted to hear about how they felt like earlier before I kind of gave up on it and then when all this stuff happened like when um when Eric Garner's uh when I'm trying to remember the cat the, the, the police officer that killed him that got off uh man I really should I should know his name but I'm blanking right now um because I won't say all the names of the other cops that got off yeah, I don't know his name I'm sorry Grant or like Jan Rosen who killed Mike Brown but I don't Out. Like, this is what got me through it. Which hmm. was never, you know, I never would have expected that. Um, and people, you know, sending me that kind of information, that was what made me, like, want to be, like, kind of leap over the hurdles that I had at that time to feel like it was important enough for me to spend the time and money to, like, you know, get those kind of things out of the way to be able to release it. Yeah. So it was only really, like, the last year or so that I kind of came back to the Yeah, I was reading the descriptions you had on the website and the you said something about like music being a soundtrack for a revolution yeah. or for movements and I was just like that's that's so interesting to think of it as like music being useful in that kind of taking a stand or that kind of action which I'm sure is so obvious to you but <laughs> sometimes so people put the arts in the background so much that it's yeah, totally. You need to be reminded that, like, oh, yeah, those are active. Those are active things. Right. We're all trying to change with them. Yeah, I think from the culture perspective, I saw it. But, you know, like, I think what's interesting is that I think that just came naturally from my barometers for success, talking about what you're talking about. Like, mm-hmm. my barometers for su- success were never, like, get a Grammy or, like, sell a bunch of records. Not that I wouldn't want to do those things. But my barometers for success were, like, are people chaining these in the streets? Like, that's why I'm jealous of Kendrick Lamar. Not because he yeah. has That's pretty amazing. That's the best thing about it for me, you know. So that was always my goal. Now, obviously, I don't have control over whether people like think that they want to do that or not. Yeah. With the transformation suite, but um, what I will say is like the coolest things that have happened with it have been the things that I don't expect that are like that. Like you know, a friend of mine that has used it for his curriculum and it was his high school class for African American history. Oh, cool. Or a friend of mine who's doing like a fashion show based she was going to do a totally different thing, you know, and then listen to the piece. Um, or, you know, like, uh, yeah, just different different random things that people, you know, were inspired to do through through listening and engaging with the material. You know, that's cool. Well, actually, the thing I'm most excited about is that the album release, which is the day before, will release on October 12th, but the album release is going to be on October 11th. And I'm collaborating with this organization called Campaign for Black Male Achievement, which is a national organization um, that works 
is to uh, change perceptions for young black males and also to give them more opportunities to succeed. Uh We are doing the Transformation Suite album release at the Kennedy Center as part of an uh, an event that we are presenting that I'm presenting with them called Black Males Reimagined, where we bring together different artists and different speakers to basically speak on different uh, aspects of the you know black male experience specifically but the black experience um, engaging with you know the prison industrial complex violence you know police violence obviously poverty all those kind of things but also engaging with patriarchy you know uh, you know intersectionality the, the issues that you know black males have had in terms of how they treat black females like we're trying uh-huh. to deal with all those things too um but anyways, basically we're using the Transformation Suite as a framework to bring all these people together and put on this free event for like schools, you know, throughout the That's so year. exciting. So I'm really excited about yeah. that. And the people who are a part of it are like really great. That's so exciting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, was that something that you spearheaded or like somebody heard it and yeah, was like, I mean, let's do this? It was kind of a combination of those things, but basically it was through a confluence of yeah. I'm a part of a, an organization called Blackout for Human Rights, mm-hmm. which was started by Ryan Cougar and Ava DuVernay, actually. Yeah, um, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, mostly filmmakers. And um, we've done a couple different, um, you know, great events that I've been a part of and different actions and are planning more. But basically, one of the um, one of the members of Blackout, one of the core members, was also a member of CBMA, um, who, was, who I'm, you know, uh, presenting this event with. And they came to, I invited them to one of the performances of the Transformation Suite. And after the performance, he said, you know, we do this biannual event called Black Male Reimagined, and we don't know what we're doing this year. You know, I think it would be a great idea to structure it around this this project. And I was, you know, I was like, yes, of course, you know. So I'm just very grateful to them that they're willing to take that that chance, you know, um, and that they're willing to let me be a core pro- part of the process and how it's built, who we ask to be a part of it and how we kind of curate, you know, the whole event through the, through the uh, prism of the suite. So, um, yeah, it was kind of... That's really exciting. With, you know, my friend Rashid, who was a member of yeah. the campaign for Black Are you doing anything the next day in New York, like when you actually I, release it? I will be doing... Or will you be asleep in your bed? We, <laughs> um, we will be doing probably a couple different things in New York. I cannot announce them yet because they're All right. confirmed. Well, let, let me know when you know. Are you just feeling so excited to like have, I know that so many people have already heard it, obviously, and good things have been happening, but are you excited just to be like, I'm putting this thing off, out of my heart and into the world and my hands are going to be off it for a little yeah. bit. Let's see what it does. It's, it's a weird feeling. You know, it's like, it's almost like, obviously it's not like this because I don't have children, so I don't <laughs> but I feel like it's the closest I'll currently get to like having a child and then like being like you have to like go go do your thing but it's like that's kind of like it's a tough thing but it's also like you know hopefully liberating and also hopefully like you know it'll just be interesting to see what that person what happens yeah and how people respond to that person you know um so i'm i'm nervous but but i'm excited and definitely i think i'll be yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you'll continue to uh, do work with it in yeah. live shows and stuff. But oh, I wanted to ask you just because this podcast deals so much with like the reality of being <laughs> an artist <laughs> the day to day. How have you been structuring your like financial life since you graduated from school? Like, have you been able to pay most of your bills with music, or have you been day job in it yeah. here and there? Yeah. Because I really didn't want to have to learn. And my parents were like, being academic people themselves, they were like, we're not going to, like, we won't 
let you go if you ever want to. Yeah. So that was really helpful. And then also on top of that, I stayed with my grandfather the whole time. Um, oh my gosh. It was a blessing because I love him. Um, <laughs> and also a little bit of wrangling because they didn't want me let me do that. But at a certain point, I was just like, I have to do this. I mean, um, that's one of the biggest expenses going to yeah, school in New York is living expenses. Yeah, and so I was lucky that, you know, my grandpa, he's a born and bred New Yorker. Mm. Right. I think that that situation allowed me to save enough that I was like cool for a little bit till I could kind of work out, you know, what I wanted, what I wanted and needed to work out. Um, and yeah, I mean, I do a lot of different things that cover situations, <laughs> um, you, you know, musically or artistically. But so far, I've been lucky enough to be able to do that. Also, you know, I live with my sister and she, even though she's in school, like tours like a lot <laughs> like way more than uh most people in school so she covers her end too you know like which is which is great um and we're able to kind of do our thing I mean we don't have a, a lot of expenses you know um <clears throat> being young people which is helpful um but yeah that's so great that you have family here it's been really a blessing yeah and it was it was great to you know I lived with my grandfather for six years I mean, beyond everything, just personally, it was the, the most special thing in my life. But um, it was yeah. definitely also really, really helpful from the standpoint that I didn't, you know, that I was able to save for a long time and kind of like charge everything to him. Like I could, I mean, I also took care of him, so it wasn't right. like the one thing because he was old. And so me and my, me and then my sister, when she first moved here, before he passed away, we took care of him. So we made all his meals, we mm-hmm. got his medicine, we, you know, made sure he had. Okay. So yeah, it was helpful. I mean, for sure, for for those first years to be able to um, to save that that money and um, and then be able to start take certain risks because you know I toured a lot like when I first got out of school because I was kind of scared of those kind of things and like I was just like I need to work, I need to work, and I toured with some great people who I love, um, but I realized that wasn't. Hmm. Although I love playing, I wanted to be a composer. Um, and so I had to start saying no to some of those things that paid better, you know. And so it was a little hairy for a little bit. But, um, and then definitely with this album, like, you know, I didn't, I decided mostly because of the subject matter and how, how I wanted to treat how I released it, like, in certain, certain respects. I decided to release it independently, you know, not with the label. Yeah. So I've had to invest a lot in myself, which is how I, you know, try to put it. But I've been That's lucky great, that I'm able to do that because yeah. you know, not, I understand that not everyone is uh, able to do that. Um, what are is there anything that you learned specifically, like nitty gritty, putting out your own album, things that surprised you that you learned about that process that might be useful to someone else who's like, oh, I'd like to produce my own music. Yes, I have. I have learned a great deal. <laughs> <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. I like to get my inspiration sources and then just throw them in the pot. But the one thing about that is, like, definitely get permission for everything you do before you do anything. Mm. So that's, like, that was a big thing that I had to learn. Um, there's just a lot of, yeah, like you said, kind of nitty-gritty or, like, detail aspect things from the independent side that you just wouldn't think of but, you, but are really good to know about, like, just what digital distribution means, what physical distribution means, like, what you really need to be able to do those things. Um, even just as far as like artistic layout, if you want to do a booklet or like ISRC codes, like I had never heard about any of those things because nobody tells you that like you need ISRC codes for each song on the album if you're going to track where the money goes, you know what I mean? Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know anything about that. But it's like if you're going to go with the digital distributor to get your music on 
music, Spotify, iTunes, whatever, all that stuff. Um, you need these codes to for them to be that that kind of hub to be able to track when people buy things from this various you know these various sites so that then you can get that money. So it's just like that kind of stuff I didn't even know or think about. Yeah. Until I had to do it. Did you just do a lot of research, or did you find some I like did. friends I and have, mentors? I have great producers for the album. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> um, so they, they've kind of been the, the, the number one helpers for me on that end as well as just great friends who have advised me you know like my friend Steph and uh, Frida and um, my friend Esther like just yeah good people in my life who have just been like oh you want to do that this is how you do it that's great yeah. um, is there something in the past couple of years that you're really proud of that you want to tell me about like a lesson you've learned or doesn't have to be like a huge thing. Um, that's a great question. I'm proud of. Um, yeah, I, well, there's, a, I guess, a couple of things I could mention. I mean, just, I guess, the most recent thing that I can think of is um, being, having the courage to start singing in front of people. That's mm. very have you always sung when you're alone? I actually haven't. I mean, not any more than any normal person, just randomly. But, um, I mean, I've, I've, I toured, you know, a few years ago and, and so recently with lots of different great singers. You know, Jose James, Emily King, Kate Davis, like all of those, you know, some of the great singers of the world. Mm-hmm. I was in their bands, and so they would ask me to do backgrounds and stuff, which is cool how I started to get a little comfortable. But what happened was, you know, my sister's a vocalist, an amazing Maybe that was your subconscious trying to tell you yeah, something. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just weird. I mean, I had never even thought about that before, mostly just because so many of my friends are, like, the best singers. <laughs> so it's just, like, weird, you know? But um, lots of people encouraged me, and, like, you know, so I started doing this new project, which will be my next project after the Transformation Suite, which is, like, totally a whole different thing. <laughs> um, uh, very, you know, personal Okay. It's about like personal demons and relationships and all that kind of stuff, but um, it's called Venus. Um, the band is called Venus, and so I started writing just a collection of songs around that that kind of stuff. And my sister was like, "You should do it. You should perform." And that was like we did it roughly in like I can't remember, probably June or something. Like for Yeah. Um, and people loved it. It was really <laughs> out. It was really weird to me. <laughs> what? Like, so, yeah, we just kept kept going. So I guess. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, that's it's still weird that it's a thing to me, but. Um, and I, you were you were playing while you were singing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that will, that will be an interesting next chapter. But, yeah, I think I'm proud of myself that I didn't just automatically shut that down. Because there were a lot of times when I 
wanted to do that because I was just like, you know, when you're really good at something else, like, which, you know, yeah. I mean, I'm not going to say I'm the best pianist, but I spent a lot of time doing that. Once it's, you know, I've studied it. So when you, when you are at a certain level with one thing and then this other thing, like you're it's scary. scratch, you're like, you, you know that you're not as good and you have, but you know what it means to put time into something. And right. Be, and you know people who have put in the time for that. And you're like, that's so what a singer is. Of, you know, it's weird. It's like, it's like weird to be like, I, that's okay. Um, yeah, you just have to try it and keep trying it. I've had a lot of like actor friends talk about like playwriting that way. Right. Like, oh, you just have to start and try. Yeah. Yeah. I think my sister was that like that way for composing because I was always a composer. And then when she started having her music, I would write a lot for her. But I also was like, Lainey, like you, you can write. And it was like that for her. Like she had to, to get the confidence to even start. And then when she did it, like she wrote great songs. You know, her songs are amazing. So, do you ever get writer's block as a composer? Yeah, I'm very inconsistent. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll like write certain things in like a night, you know, and then other things will take me a year. It's really just depends. Um, on what it is and uh, I think I'm getting less writer's block now because I opened something up for me which was very important which I, which is interesting is that I think I allowed myself to have imagination and to, to write about things that weren't just my experience like my mm-hmm. own experience I still have certain limits around like um there are probably certain things I'll never write about just because I don't feel comfortable writing about them. And I think there are certain things that you have to experience to really know how to write about. Um, but but I do think that it opened up a lot of possibilities for me to be like, not everything has to be something I went through, you know? And that's, I started to do that also through just writing for other people, you know, writing for my sister, uh, writing for, yeah, just writing yeah. for other, other folks that um, asked me to write for them, so. Yeah. So, so are you pretty chill? If you do have something where you're like, this is, I don't know what to do with this now. Are you pretty chill about just knowing that, oh, well, that this is going to be one of the ones that takes me a year. I'll come back to it next month and look at it. Or is it frustrating? And what do you do to try to get out of that? I mean, I definitely get frustrated pretty easily. (laughs) But I also, I think my natural way is to be doing hella different stuff at the same time, both in terms of like the projects I'm involved in, but also just how I work. So I tend to just like if I get frustrated, I'll just be frustrated for like five minutes and then I'll be like, F it. Just <laughs> like switch just, like, gears. Go to something else. Yeah. Not even because it's necessarily the right way to do it, just because I'm just like, I don't want to deal with this right now. Just <laughs> go do this other thing. So yeah, I think that's actually ended up serving me because it's like, Sometimes it makes sense to you know it's a it's a really like intuitive process like some you have to know when you're on the verge and you just need to push and you also have to know when if you push you might just not get what's real you know you might you might get something for that sounds forced and if it sounds forced it's gonna be whack so yeah if there's that that if you're at that point you're better off putting it away and coming back but if you're like just encountering some barriers but you feel that it's something on the other side you sometimes you gotta just endure if you are having one of those dark side days and where you're feeling really uninspired and don't know what to do are there any concrete things that you reach for again and again like a book or an album or a place you go yeah uh definitely definitely certain music that's definitely the first place that I go for sure um Frank Ocean Mm mm-hmm for me at this point in time I, I'm sure it changes um, but yeah I don't know I don't know that I'm necessarily like great at navigating those certain times um, I think my family helps me out for sure yeah um, and I think I just like know how to not act like not make it worse you know like I know that it's like oh this is this type of day maybe it'll pass I just need to do what I need to do mm-hmm. um, rather than last a lot longer because I would make it a lot more of like an existential like right. where I'm at 
Right. Um, yeah, knowing that it'll pass is very, very helpful, <laughs> even though it still feels terrible when you're there. Yeah. And then I wanted to ask if you had like heard or seen anything recently that you wanted to recommend yeah um i'm really excited about ava duvernay's new documentary the 13th which is debuting at new york film festival this week um i haven't seen it yet but i know it's gonna be dope i saw a trailer and it's coming out on netflix i'm mm-hmm. extra hype you know uh to see it um because everything she does she's amazing have you watched also, queen sugar yet I've been it's enjoying so it. So fire! <laughs> I was also recommending Atlanta. You know, oh, I haven't seen that yet. So extra fire as well. They're both brilliant. Um, yeah, I love Queen Sugar. Love Atlanta. I uh, love what's the new music? Um, Derek Hodges' new record. Uh, this I think it's called Second. The Second. I think that's what it's called. Um, what else? The the new stuff. Um, Robert Glasper Experiment record. The new one. Or are there any, um, like with your activism work, are there any organizations in the city that you would recommend people getting involved yeah. with or checking out what Definitely. they're doing? That's a much easier question. <laughs> really, for justice. Okay. check out if they want to know like what's the national platform is actually called the movement for black lives so a lot of people don't know that because they think black lives matter is a is like everybody but black lives matters is a hashtag first and foremost but it's also it is a network it's an organization but it's a loose network of local chapters okay so each local chapter has their own agenda they can do their own thing and so there's like black lives matter new york black lives matter la all those kind of things but what unites all the local, all the organizations nationally, like, you know, Black Lives Matter, Million Hoodies, BYP, Ferguson Action, uh, Dream Defenders, all those, basically, they all came together and put out this national policy statement that's under the banner of the Movement for Black Lives. Okay. So if you go search the Movement for Black Lives, you'll find their website and you'll find the list of demands, the list of, you know, policy points, all that kind of stuff that everybody's asking for and says we don't have. Because <laughs> they want to hate. Um, so that's like the, you know, that's what to look for. And everything. Okay. And then obviously there's new stuff like springing up every day, like, you know, the sh- with Charlotte um, and what is happening, the uprising that's happening there right now. They just put out a list of demands that you, you, you can also just like, you can find it, you know, pretty much everywhere on social media, but if you want to find it fast through this, like, it is on my, you know, social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff. I try to post, repost the things that I see, because I'm not, obviously not in Charlotte right now, but, right. Um, you know, like Rosa Clemente was just there, who's an important organizer, Pastor Michael McBride, so those are people I know that I get the information from, and then I try to spread it, you know, to my own network, but things are coming out all the time, you just have to know what are the right channels, which is important because there's lots of plans, you know. There's a lot of misinformation, yeah. for sure. Okay, great. <laughs> well, October 12th. Yes. October 12th. It's all going to be coming out, and I'll post all about it. Thank you very much. Thank I'm really you. Excited. You can get it pretty much everywhere. And then also one thing that I am trying to do is for organizations, like obviously policy, political, uh, you know, activist organizations, but also for youth groups, um, I will have a like a digital free package that will include the whole record and also other educational materials that I can give to those you know organizations. They can spread however they want because I want that's great all right thank you so much this was such a pleasure thank you so samora was kind enough to let me include a track from the transformation suite 
This is the second song. It's entitled History. Blisters and sores, sun rays piercing through our gaze, leaving holes in our todays, murdering any hope for tomorrow. What happened to that God you spoke of? Punched down my throat, kicked in my face. I ain't seen him in your eyes lately. I ain't heard him in your words. You even walking like the devil these days with a sly shift, a crooked grin, smirking at the dollar signs of tomorrow, sealing your eyes from the horrors of today. Don't you choke on that hate you cooked in that awful scented kitchen of pain. Tell me why you lied and was it worth it? The culture you called stool, stepped on and then stole. The malignant markings you left on the souls of folk scratching for breath in the land that caused them pariah for trying to breathe. The secondhand murders you had a first hand in creating. The love you sold smashed and shoved into the holes of ships to grow rancid, rot, and fester, to ooze, bubble, and pus, to die in the darkness. So tell me, was it worth it? Thank you. 
this podcast. I'm Leah Walsh. More episodes are coming soon. Please look for us on Facebook and iTunes. I'd like to thank the following people for their generosity. The Compass cover art is by Kim Miller. Music by Brendan Spieth. Audio assistance from Nick Choksi. And a special thanks to Frankie J. Alvarez. See you next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.